Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos, Senior Vice President at Butler American Telecom and a Cowell board member. Cal is a nonprofit organization that aims to promote the growth and development of the wireless industry in California. We are dedicated to educating and connecting industry professionals, promoting innovation, and ad- advocating for policies that support the wireless ecosystem. Today, I am excited as my to have my guest as David Witkowski, the founder of Oku Solutions. David is a well-known leader in the wireless industry and has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with us today. We will be discussing the latest trends and developments in the wireless industry, as well as the challenges and opportunities facing the industry today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. Before I introduce David, I just want to let everyone know that that introduction was actually generated by ChatGTP. We're not going to talk about ChatGTP, but it's hot in the news right now, and I wanted to test it out. So um, (laughs) anyway, David, welcome to the Calva podcast. Thanks for having me, and thanks for having ChatGPT here as well. I think I think uh, it will be with us a long time. I think it will. <laughs> maybe maybe another time we could talk about that. But this is a wireless related podcast, and um, I'd like to give a little more background on you to our listeners. So, as I said, uh, you are the founder and CEO of of Oku Solutions, a leading wireless consulting firm. Uh, that specializes in providing technical and strategic advice to wireless operators, uh, governments, vendors, and investors. You have over 20 years of experience in the wireless space and have held leadership positions in several top companies. Uh, You began your career in the United States Coast Guard, installing and maintaining radios and radar systems, and you worked as a radio systems engineer, deploying and maintaining land mobile radio networks, eventually transitioning into deployment of wireless cellular networks for the major operators. While obtaining your electrical degree at the at UC Davis, um, you led uh, a team that installed the prototype CDMA site for research by the college. And in 07, you founded Oku Solutions. Uh, and since then, your company has uh, worked to enable deployment of wireless and wired broadband networks by educating governments about the socioeconomic value of telecommunications and assisting the wireless industry during municipal application and permitting efforts. Um, You also have been active in industry organizations such as CALWA and the IEEE, which have served uh, and have served as an expert in patent litigation and municipal permitting appeal cases. In addition to your uh, bachelor's uh, in engineering, you have an MBA, and you are a frequent speaker at conferences, and you've authored books, articles, and peer-reviewed papers, and um, you're truly a respected thought leader in wireless. So, And also, last but not least, you are also the executive director of Wireless Technology, Technology Initiatives at Joint Valley 
Silicon uh, Joint Venture Silicon Valley. Woo. Okay, that's a mouthful. So, David, uh, I know you've listened to many of the podcasts over the years. When we had our little green room uh, intro chat a couple weeks ago, uh, you were actually referencing some of them, which I really appreciate. And so, you know, you know, I always ask this question because you know, as you you see behind me, I got statues of Batman and Power Girl or whatever else. I'm a big superhero guy, so I always ask the origin story. So, in right. in your intro. That I just provided in the intro uh, about your uh, uh, your history. I mean, obviously, there's this Coast Guard piece. Did it start there, or like were you fascinated by wireless technology back when you were a child? <laughs> so, so thanks for the intro, John. And uh, sorry to take up so much time with the intro. By the way, it's uh, I suppose as you as you uh, get older, you you have interesting stories. So yes, um, it's interesting that you you mentioned that because. So the, my, my origin story actually dates back to, uh, for wireless, actually dates back to my earliest memory. Um, my father was a, um, was a policeman. And um, my, my earliest memory is of falling out of my crib um, and my parents rushing in to, to find me on the floor. And my father, uh, being a policeman, had just gotten off of his shift. And um, he very quickly um, bundled me into his police car and put me in the front seat and rushed me off to the hospital. And I, I remember my earliest memory is of, the, of my parents coming into the room. And my second memory is of sitting in the front seat of the police car in front of the Motorola stack of, of radios and the sirens and the controls. And, and I, I remember being fascinated by the the voices coming out of the out of the dashboard um, and the the all the switches and such like that, and that led to um, an obsession in my childhood with radios. So my er, you know my earliest Christmas presents, the ones that I asked. Don't say crystal radio. I had a I built a crystal radio. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember building a crystal radio when I was about seven years old. My my. Uh, my stepfather taught me how to solder, so I, I learned how to solder at about seven years old. I used to, um, I had di all kinds of different walkie-talkies. Um, I used to go into the, I used to go into the radio shack in Buena Park and just like put my nose prints all over the glass case because I was, I was just desperately wanted a Midland, you know, uh, three-channel crystal-controlled ha handy talkie or, or if, you know, in the perfect world, like an actual twenty-three channel. CB radio. Um, I had an uncle that was a ham, um, so I spent you know quite a quite a lot of time uh, with him. He would give me old equipment. Um, so by the time that I got into the Coast Guard, uh, which I joined immediately on my 18th birthday, um, I, I had already I'd already been working on electronics for for several years and and wireless electronics. So I knew when I went into the Coast Guard, I wanted to go into electronics and communications radar the whole the whole thing and and that's that's what i did um and so then after that uh, you know it sort of took off from there and i've had i've had an interesting career um winding between sort of physical deployments being a a site engineer you know a site engineer um climbing towers um building systems repairing uh, you know, spent a lot of time in, inside of dirty places and, and nasty places and have all the usual stories of, you know, opening repeater cabinets and finding rattlesnakes inside of them and things like that. So um, 
and clearing out old mouse nests and and such. But then uh, also working in semiconductors in the wireless space. So I, I worked for a company that did software for um, semiconductors, and and I was the I was like the internal wireless go-to guy that if they were going out to visit Qualcomm, they would say, you have to come with us to San Diego, and I would jump on a plane and go visit. And and so I would speak the wireless language to Qualcomm, and then I would speak the software language to the uh, to the team and try to figure out like which tools were appropriate for them to be using and help them support all that. Yeah. Right, right on. Um, Radio Shack, I was, it's funny, I, and maybe, maybe, maybe you were in Buena Park, but when I grew up in Garden Grove off of Knott yeah. Avenue and the 22, sure. there was a Radio Shack, like almost like an outlet. It was like huge, but uh, I, I was thinking when you started talking about all this stuff, I was thinking, man, you must have been a kid in a candy store back then. Um, but anyway, yeah, so thank you for all that, and that is a true origin story. I mean, you're talking uh, right, out of the, right out of the crib and into uh, a passion for radio technology. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was something that I was, I was really just, you know, fascinated with, and uh, um. I suppose I'm I'm dating myself by saying Radio Shack, but uh, yeah. and that's okay. And you might be our first guest that didn't didn't just accidentally fall into wireless. This is, this almost sounded like a uh, like destiny for you. <laughs> it's, uh, it 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 drives my it drives my wife insane because uh, I'll I'll you know put some crazy antenna on my roof for my ham radio hobby, and and then she's like, "Oh my God, what the heck is that?" And I'm like, "No, isn't it beautiful?" So. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the neighbors love it. Okay. <laughs> so you started. Um, so let's we talk. Let's talk about Oku Solutions, and um, you provide a ton of um, services for your clients. I was uh, really intrigued by your uh, your website and stuff. So let's dive into a few. So let's let's start with the uh, the expert witness service you provide. Um, you know, at I guess it'd be at public hearings, perhaps maybe even um, in litigation. Um, you know, what kinds of testimony are you providing and, um, and how long you've been doing this? So, um, when I, when I joined, um, uh, when I joined joint venture Silicon Valley in, in 2015, um, I actually, um, took over the position from Natasha Ernst, uh, who, uh, was, uh, maybe some of your, your members know her. Yeah. Uh, Natasha's great. Um, uh, she was heading up the wireless communications initiative at joint venture Silicon Valley. And then she, she went back east. So I, I took that position from her. Um, and that that was kind of where we started doing that was right during the um, small cell time when, you know, there was small cell was kind of a new thing. We were getting a lot of queries from cities, um, you know, asking questions, you know, what what's a small cell? Why did I just get an application for 12 of these things? Um, they they understood maybe the cities understood towers. Uh, but but they didn't really understand small cell, and, and we kind of realized that there was a, a problem there. So um, what I did was is I decided that rather than just answer the same question a hundred times, that I would write a book on the topic, and and I would basically create a, a handbook for local governments, and it was uh, it was called Bridging the Gap, um, and it was the first publication was 2016, and then we did uh, an update in 2019. And that was uh, really intended to be kind of a desktop primer for m municipal governments um, and, th and that they would have questions. And I would say, have you read my book? No. Okay. Read my book. Call me back. Right. Then we'll have more uh, relevant conversation. 
So the book's found its way into a number of different places. It's actually appeared in cities across the United States, um, even though it was intended, you know, it, it was intended for the, the joint venture members, the, the cities that are members of that organization. It, it's actually been referenced. Um, I've seen it in presentations by the FCC. Um, it actually showed up in Switzerland. Some I, the Swiss government flew me to Bern, Switzerland, to uh, have a um, uh, to do a presentation on on the topic of deployment. And so, what we really do with the with the testimony is, as we come in as expert witnesses um, on a, several things. One is the health effects question, which of course is is always something that, that people are looking to talk about. Um, but but more to the point, I think the socioeconomic value of wireless in other words um what does wireless do to population in terms of jobs public safety um you know enabling people to to uh communicate with their with their coworkers or their loved ones if they're gig workers if they're 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 freelancers they they need to be connected you know if if you're a if you're a lift driver and you don't have good coverage, you don't get the, the, the fares, right? You don't get the, the rides. And so you have to have that coverage in order to get that. If you're, a, um, if you're an on-call worker for a temp agency and you don't get the call, guess what? Somebody else gets the temp job that day. So, um, and, you know, and other things like, you know, if you're a, if you're a single mom uh, in Silicon Valley that's holding down two jobs, trying to, to just survive, to just to make the rent, and you know you leave your kids at home, and you leave your teenager in charge, um, and seventy-five percent of Latinos are wireless only. They do not have landline phones. Um, so if you know, for example, if if you're a Latino, and then you more than likely you do not have a landline phone, and you need to know first of all if you call home that your teenage daughter is going to be able to answer that call. Second of all. Um, you know, you need to know that if the teenage daughter calls 911, that the call will go through. Mm -hmm. And so we we talk to cities a lot about the socioeconomic issue. Really, it's like a social justice question. If you don't build a wireless network, are you, in fact, excluding elements of your society or your your, your um, population? Mm -hmm. And and typically, the opposition groups are are wealthy, right? I mean, I find that this is the case is you you show up, these opposition groups are, are usually on, uh, you know, they're fairly, they're run by people that are fairly wealthy uh, for two reasons. One, they have lots of time on their hands and two, they have uh, the money to print t-shirts and mm -hmm. banners and posters and they have time to show up at these meetings. Right. Um, you know, the people who really need these networks are working and don't have time to show up and say, hey, by the way, this, this network is really important to me. Right. Of course, during the pandemic, we realized how important connectivity was. Right. So I, I, if there was an upside to the pandemic, it was that it validated things that I'd been saying for five years, which is these networks are critical and we have to build them now. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully coming out of the pandemic, we're, we're being a little smarter about realizing how important they are. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And, um, and do you also in your testimony um, – talk about you know just uh safety in general terms i mean my son is a junior he's a good guy he's uh, working on his eagle scout he's varsity soccer he's a great student i trust him but you know what i use live 360 i just want to make sure he is sure. safe yeah. 
and you know he's still 17 he still needs guidance um but he accepts it uh, it's not about me not trusting him it's maybe just me being skeptical of everyone else <laughs> i i agree with that and certainly my my kids have the you know um we use family link um for through google and so yeah we have the same thing as that if if i need to know where my daughters are at any given time i have uh, teenage daughters or I have a college age teenager and I have a high school teenager I, I need to know where they are and and you know if something happens um, I, I need to know that they can call for help um, you know we we shifted my oldest daughter once she started driving um, to a different carrier because that carrier in this area has better coverage it's more expensive but I I figured if she's on the roads and she's up in the hills somewhere, car runs off the road, a deer, you know, runs out in front of her, she needs to be able to call for help. Mm -hmm. um, and um, unfortunately, in the area where I live, the hills are, are not well covered, uh, owing to a, a somewhat aggressive anti wireless population here that there's a pretty vociferous uh, mm -hmm. uh, opposition group here that has constantly, you know, getting in the way. I mean, we're notable in the county where I live for being a place where an ODAS took 10 years to go on the air mm. because of resident opposition. And right. the county is, I would argue, um, not helping in that regard because they entertain every appeal um, that comes their way. Cool. And so they can just serial appeal this, you know, every resident on the road, one after the other, and every each one is like a two to three month cycle. And then the next one repeals and the next one appeals and eventually you run, you run out, you exhaust your appeals, but by then several years have gone by. And meanwhile, people are getting into accidents on that road and, and they have no recourse. Right, right. Well, one of the other services you provide us is, is tangential to this, which is the EME reports, post-installation testing, which is also right. in the realm of dispelling myths about the technology. And, you know, we've been dealing with, you know, certain jurisdictions have been requiring on the on the application on the front end you know an eme analysis off sometimes on the back end or the post installation test to verify the eme analysis right. and so um you know talk a bit about that talk about um what, what you've seen over the years in cities um um you know using those are is are some cities getting away from them that used to use them or more cities um uh, going in that direction. Also, um, just generally the misconception about the, 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 the value of those reports or the uh, limitations of those reports. I mean, I know I, know I could just kind of did a kitchen sink, but I think this is really important, especially to those who are doing zoning applications. And then also, you know, obviously on the back end, because after the site's built, uh, you might need a post installation test, but yeah, okay. talk generally about your, your guys's work in this area. Yeah, so we so uh, EMEs are certainly critical, and and they are you know they are part of the application process. And I, I would argue pretty much everywhere. I, I suppose there might be some places, uh, you know, in some uh, Midwest or something where where they're not. But I've I've never encountered any jurisdictions that don't require them. Um, we do third party EME verification. So what we're really doing is is we're we're looking at it as a as a second opinion, if you will. We look at the EME and we do two things for that. One is, is we feed back to the, um, uh, we feed back to the 
EME provider, if there are errors and we say, hey, there's a, you know, we, we've detected an error in this, you know, your calculations seem a bit off, um, you know, the address is incorrect, you misestimated the distance between the house and the, is it a single story house or a two story house? Did you use the proper modeling in the 3D realm? So we, we use a variety of tools to, to do that. Um, and then post-installation, um, you know, um, MPE testing on site, Many jurisdictions um, require a post MPE. Some require it to be done by the um, by the PE that did the initial the uh, the EME. So you know, if you contract with one company to do the EME, then that company has to do the post installation on site uh, MPE measurement. But then others are now we'll have you know we'll take it from any any firm that that can do it. So. Um, some jurisdictions are are requiring, and I find this to be increasingly the case, at least in my area in Northern California, um, annual or biannual uh, MPE re- recertifications. I've I've had many city clients, many city uh, uh, people who have said that they're, um, you know, they're afraid that the carrier will simply just turn the power up the moment that they get the permit. And, and I have to explain to them that like, it doesn't work that way. I mean, the cell is designed to have a certain amount of output power. Um, there's no point in turning the power up because then you're just going to like distort the shape of the, of, of the cell. So, you know, the power that they've said that they're going to put out is the power that they're going to put out. Uh, of, of course, MP, MPEs are always below EMEs because EMEs are always worst case analysis. So, you know, if, if you estimate, uh, you know, 1.1%, um, you know, public limit, you go out and measure and it's, you know, it's, it's 0.6, right. Or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem is, is that I think people, two things go on in this is, is that one, um, the public doesn't always have a very good sense of scale. So if you come in and you say, you know, we had a case in San Jose, California, where um, we, there was an, there was a, um, an EME that showed that um, RF levels on a playground um, where it would be like, you know, 1.3%. And they're like, oh my God, 1.3%, that's huge. And you have to explain to them that, look, the FCC limits are set 98% below the level at which an effect can even be measured on the human body. So mm-hmm. you've got this, you know, you've got this minus 17 dB uh, reduction below that level. And then that's 1.3% of that reduction. <laughs> It's it's you know it's minuscule. I mean, and even measuring it is hard because because the because the ambient yep. energy and the environment uh, you have to sort of ferret out like okay this is and, and you know then you measure it and it turns out to be less than one percent. But but the families uh, the that had the children in the school were freaking out and threatening to take their kids out of the school because they were afraid of this this one point three percent. So I think as as a, um, a good friend of mine, a, a person in the industry is has famously said, he says, David, you know, we live in a post-science world, right? And you, you know, all of your smarts and all of your expertise is, is meaningless because people believe what they believe and they believe it for almost religious reasons, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of, you know, a person says, I'm afraid of wireless because I saw a post on Facebook that says 5G is going to give me COVID. <laughs> and, they like they believe that, and they will do anything that they can to to stay in that belief system. And it's very very hard to walk people off of that. Mm-hmm. 
the, what you have to do is you have to avoid them infecting other people with their belief system. And so what you what's really critical is, is to get in front of these cities right away. Um, for example, during the 2018 election cycle, um, we met with a lot of the city council candidates for, for cities in our area. And the, we wanted to do that because we wanted to get in front of it because we knew they were out canvassing, meeting the public, kissing babies, doing their, doing their campaigning. And you're familiar with that process. And what are people saying? Well, you know, I heard there's going to be a 5G site in my, in my neighborhood. And I'm really afraid of it. Well, how do they respond to that? They don't know how to respond to that. So, so not only talking to people who have been elected, but talking to people who potentially will be elected is, I think, a really important part of what we do, um, just pre-education, because you don't, what you want to do is, going back to the sort of the pandemic, it's, you want to inoculate them against the crazy, right? You want to right. inoculate them against the, the anti-science. And then by doing that, you prevent them from being swayed into that position um, and potentially even making it a, a plank of their campaign, right? I mean, you could imagine that a candidate for city council might decide that, well, I'm going to be the anti-wireless candidate, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm going to run on an end. I'm going to stop five. I'm going to stop five G and vote vote for Bob. He hates five G, right? And and yeah, I mean, you don't want that because then they, then that person gets elected, right? Now you're fighting them for the next whenever until they're until they term out, and it's it's a challenge, right? Right. Totally understand that. <coughs> Excuse me. The um, along those lines, and you know, maybe I, I got my bias hardwired into me. Like you know, it's hard to un, it's hard to unwire that, as you were just referencing with the five uh, G Facebook stuff or whatever. Is um, you know, um, back in '96, you know, the Telecommunications Act. You know, in its simplest form, when it came to a jurisdictional, uh, uh, well, uh, the jurisdiction on placement of facilities um, within a local zoning authority, um, you know, it was, you know, the city had control over the aesthetics, but the, 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 uh, the emissions was the FCC. And, Mm -hmm. um, for a while, the city's kind of stayed in that lane. Um, it's in my early days, um, with uh, requiring EME reports and what. So let me ask a, what might seem as a simple question is like, well, if that's true, and maybe it's only somewhat true, but you'll you'll have to correct me, then you know, if the feds go- govern that all the stuff, the EME and the MPEs, uh, sure. you know, uh, analysis, then why why are cities um, talking about it at all? Yeah, and, and it's an interesting question because, uh, like, I have seen this many times where the city attorney will come in and he'll say, you know, we, we cannot deny, just, just to give you all a, a heads up, we cannot deny this on the basis of fears of RF, right? We, we have to, if the, if the EME and the MPE is below limits and they're, and they're within limits, then we have to say yes to this site. And the residents will be like, well, we don't care. Right. And, and even some of the politicians are like, well, we don't care. I mean, I've, I've seen jurisdictions where they've literally said um, they're going to ban 5G. Like, like well, you know, we'll, we're, we're never going to have 5G in this city. We're going to ban 5G. And I have to ask, what, which 5G are you talking about? <laughs> but real, real, the reality is, is there are four technologies which are considered 5G, and not all of them are the 3GPP 
new radio, which is what we consider 5G because it's what's on our phones. There are other 5G standards out there. There's there's um, there's the decked 5G. Um, you know, there's there's the 5G SI in, in India. There's there's a number of. Them. So you also have the issue of well, which band are you talking about, right? Because if I convert a 4G site that's got a certain antenna on it and a certain power level, and I convert it to 5G, and it's off the same power level, same antennas, it's emitting the same amount of energy, um, are, are you now going to ban it B- because it's 5G? That'd be like saying, well, you know, we, we, that, that FM radio station over there, which transmits classical music, is fine. And then they change their format to heavy metal, and you go, no, 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 right? We're, we we're going to ban that. We're going <laughs> to ban that radio station because heavy metal music modulating the FM carrier is somehow or another more dangerous than the classical music. So, I mean, right. we have to understand 5G is a modulation method. Yes, millimeter wave is a new thing. So then we've seen cases where some jurisdictions have said, um, well, we're going to ban millimeter wave 5G. Okay, well, so then they, they did that, which is, of course, extra legal, but, you know, they, they did it anyway. And then that, in one case, that same jurisdiction turned around and welcomed a 60 gigahertz point-to-point wireless ISP with open arms. I mean, it, it treated them like the, like the second coming, right? And and they they big press releases about how awesome they were that they're providing all this digital divide. And we went, hold on a second. <laughs> this is, I mean, if you're afraid of 27 gigahertz 5G, then then why aren't you afraid of 60 gigahertz telegraph, which is what the technology was? Mm-hmm. And and it was like. You, you clearly don't get this, but but it was because it was, I think it was because it was not a wireless carrier. Mm-hmm. It was this little startup, this little scrappy startup, and they were affiliated with Facebook, and and they were like, oh, this is awesome, and it's going to give everybody what they want, and and we had to go back and go like, you don't get the science here, do you? You don't really understand what you're talking about. I mean, at the end of the day, the 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 FCC has engineers but they but they rely on international standards so there's the international commission for non-ionizing radiation protection the icnerp and then of course the the dominant um, standard for this is the ieee c95.1 which um was has been continuously updated over the course of, of years the last update was in 2019 and when people say oh the fcc hasn't updated its safety standards since since you know the the startac was the was the cool thing the the you know since the flip phone, and and you go well yeah well one right physics hasn't changed right <laughs> okay so but then the other thing that that you have to think about is is that um, the the FCC relies on the IEEE C ninety five dot one and and that has been continuously updated so every time they update it the FCC looks at it and goes. Yep, physics hasn't changed, and they, they maintain their guidance, right? So we see this all the time, and these residents come in and say, well, you know, they, they haven't updated the standard for 5G. No, they they have, mm-hmm. right? It's just that the FCC is just adopting what, this, what the IEEE has, has done, and, and they've put massive amounts of work into looking at this. Um, so I think there's a sort of fundamental un- misunderstanding of how the process works, um, and and again, a fundamental misunderstanding of how technology works. But right. again, as my friend likes to say, post-science world, right? Um, right. You know, 
we, you know, and, and, uh, you know, there was that book years ago, the death of expertise, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, and, and, you know, Tom's great. I've met him through Naval war college. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, you know, he wrote, he wrote a book about basically how people don't want to hear from experts. They, they think that chat GPT will answer all their questions. Right. (laughs) So, uh, or whatever they're using, maybe next door. Right. Tom, Tom Nichols, right. Tom Nichols. Yeah, he's great. He he, he is great. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, just to close up on this, um, the city's requiring these things. When I was a commissioner um, years ago in in Anaheim, there was um, a land use that would come before the commission routinely. Like we we would approve them like uh, like 100 percent of the time. So I asked the question, you know, since, you know, this conditional use is approved by us. 100% 100% of the time without any discussion and without any um, controversy, maybe we should change the code to make this a more administrative process. And we did so. Um, and I, I guess I bring that up only because, you know, it's it, it seems like these EMEs are accepted like mm-hmm. 99.5% of the time. Sure. Right? So it kind of begs the question, well, maybe the city's should adjust their requirements. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think in, I mean, certainly there are jurisdictions where, um, you know, they're, they're led by, I mean, I've, I've encountered jurisdictions where, where people have admitted that they are, that they're basically foil hatters, right. That they, they have admitted that they're, that they don't want, they don't like wireless. They don't want it. They're going to do everything they can. I mean, we, we've had cases where, you know, there's one case where a mayor said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a cancer survivor and I, you know, I'm, I'm not okay with this. Um, and so I'm going to put a stop to it if I can. And then wind up, you know, of course these, they get sued. Um, and the industry doesn't want to go around suing everyone because it's, it's right. not good for optics and not good sure. for relations. So what you want to do is you want to sort of get to that point. Sometimes what I describe, what I do is, is that I, I like to say that I'm a marriage counselor between the wireless industry and local governments. I, I, I get involved before divorce proceedings kick in <laughs> and, and hopefully get them to the point where there are no divorce proceedings. So if I can educate a city before they make ridiculous pronouncements, like they're going to ban 5g, um, then, then I, I feel like I've done my job. Right. And, uh, and I think the industry appreciates what we do be, because we do keep that legal situation from, from, because once the lawyers get involved, then it's just like it's, as you well know, it's it's really hard to unwind it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right? I mean, once lawsuits are flying, it's impossible to have conversations about. So that <laughs> you're just yeah. Once, you got, once once the lawyers are involved, people tend to dig in more. Yeah, yeah. of course. They and now, now they yeah. have that that in, you know that instinct of I have to win, right? Yes, right. And, and I have to win. Yeah, it's very binary. Um, yeah. And and so I think you want to get avoid getting that to yeah. that level. That's my goal. Right on. So moving on to uh, another uh, emissions-related topic is uh, the is interference hunting. So on your website, yeah. you have listed as a as a service interference hunting, and that sounds really cool to me. Like like um, obviously, uh, you know, it's very scientific. But you like it's basically where's that interference coming from? Because there's like you mentioned earlier, there's yeah. so much ambient radio waves all over the place. So tell me about this. Tell me, just give me a discrete example um, of sure. so, we, so people can understand uh, how would you find the source of interference? Yeah. 
So, so interference hunting is is sort of equal parts uh, science and art, right? I mean, just um, knowing how to eliminate all of the environmental noise and get to the point where you know where the problem is coming from is um, it requires, I, I think, a certain amount of, first of all, technical expertise, but it also requires a certain amount of just sort of being able to mentally visualize things in 3D space, um, you know, looking at um, what's around you and, and coming to the realization that, okay, I'm, I'm picking up a signal from this direction. I have a directional antenna. I pointed at a building. I, I see a potential signal there. I, I make a mark on my map. Um, and then, but then I move and the signal changes. Okay. Well, what, did, why did it change? Right. Can I use that information to help me triangulate the source of the, of the problem? Um, so probably the, the, you know, Two of the best cases that I, I, I've had that would be, and I'll, I'll talk about the first one, was um, m- many years ago, we had a, um, we got a call from Cisco. And Cisco was telling me that they were um, about to get a letter from the FCC because um, Verizon was saying that there was uh, interference on the 751 megahertz downlink. And they had they had located it to the Cisco campus and they basically said at that point fix it or we will have the FCC come after you and and that could be expensive um so they they hired us to come out and track it down and as we were walking around the campus with directional antennas and spectrum analyzers trying to sort out the the source of this problem um, you know, most buildings are are now LEED certified, LEED certified right. for for energy, which means that they're typically covered in metallized glass, which reflects RF rather well because the same thing that keeps light out and heat in are also keeps RF out and RF in. Mm-hmm. So we we were getting um, numerous hits in this campus environment in San Jose, California, where where we're like, okay, well. There's something around here. It's very strong. It doesn't look like anything that we've ever really seen before. It was kind of an OFDM type of a of a of a signal. I could tell it was man-made. I could tell it was was something that was not incidental. It wasn't some LED, um, you know, some LED uh, um, driver or you know or, or a, a weird LED light pole or something like that, which is usually wideband pseudo random noise because of the switcher. Um, and I could see discrete carriers with modulation on them. So, okay, well, there's got to be something around. So by the, by the end of this, we, we eventually, we wound up realizing that it was coming from, the, from one building. And then, then we're up on the roof of the building. Um, and I'm, you know, I've got my portable spectrum analyzer and, and I'm crawling around underneath the facades with it, trying to snake around uh, air conditioning. And suddenly I see panel antennas um, mounted. It turns out, when Cisco acquired Meraki, they had a prototype system installed for testing. That team had been moved on to other other projects. The Meraki system was still on the air. It, it had been running for years, and it just happened to be running uh, near the 751 um, yeah. downlink for, for, for Band 13. Um, so it just was one of those things, like they forgot about it. Wow. Um, we had another case where um, Yahoo had a had a Nextel, an old Nextel site that had gone completely off, off 
gone completely. They'd forgotten about it. They didn't even, they weren't even using it anymore. It was used for their on-campus public safety. They'd forgotten about it because they had all switched to cell phones. This thing was emitting in the, in the Wi-Fi band and wiping out Wi-Fi on one side of the campus. Um, And then our most recent case that we, we did was we had garage door openers in a neighborhood um, with that were completely wiped out for a quarter mile in every direction. Uh, We, we DF'd it to a residence DF direction finding to, to a residence. Um, when, when we knocked on the door, the guy got super nervous, wouldn't talk to me. Then immediately the problem went away. Two weeks later, problem comes back. We have to go back out. We knock on the door again. By this time I had contacted the FCC. Um, we never, we never got into the residence. Um, but I, uh, I strongly suspect that it was a, uh, a cannabis grow uh, in his house and he, mm. and it, the LED lights that he was using were, were so powerful that they were emitting massive amounts of RF radiation in the 390 megahertz range that were kicking garage door openers off the air a quarter mile in every direction. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, DF uh, interference hunting is, is a very interesting sport. Uh, it, it's, it can be very, uh, you have good stories, right? You always have good stories from, from interference hunting. So right on. No, that sounds, I mean, when you kind of pinpoint it, you must have a sort of a eureka moment that is kind of a mini high professional high, like, yes, yeah, you feel found like, like you know, one, like right? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a good time. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, um, this is a really robust conversation and we're not, um, exactly, uh, um, short on time, but I wanted to kind of c- cover a couple of things before, um, we uh, kind of uh, uh, you know say goodbye um, real quick on back to the public officials. You you sp- mentioned a great deal earlier about educating even them before they uh, get elected, perhaps. But you know, with respect to oh, it's a, like a two parter, and maybe you know, because um, quickly talk about over your tenure, have you seen um, the general public as well as public officials? Um, acceptance of wireless technology change um, in, you know, have, have, is there more understanding as time's gone on? Is it about the same? What's, what's your take today versus 20 some years ago, let's say in terms of general community versus public officials? Yeah. So, so I think, I think, um, I, I think it's, the answer is um, it has changed. Um, and, and I would argue that it has, um, to a, to a large extent, it's actually changed for the better. So, so there are, um, certainly as we get younger public officials, you know, as, as the millennials are now the dominant socioeconomic power and, and that they have the most buying power now and the, the, the kind of the early Gen Z's are even coming into their political, into their buying power, um, they're, you know, when they go into a home, and I talked to friends of mine who are, are realtors. That, and uh, in fact, we did the first and, and to date only small cell. Uh, the only the only real estate study on the impact of small cells on property valuation. Because there's this there's this myth in the real estate community that that cell sites can cause a 20 percent reduction in property valuation. <laughs> um, and we've, we've proved that wrong in, in, in many in, in two reports, one on macros and one on small cells. And to date, we have the only small cell. But I talk to the realtors all the time, and, and they say that 
one of the things that they've noticed is that the first time that they they come into a um, into a property with with potential buyers, what do they do? They pull their phone out of their pocket. They're like, "Oh yeah, good. I've got you know I got signal. Okay, well I'm you know that's good. That means I can take my calls because guess what? Again, wireless substitution rate talked about that earlier with that you know with the seventy five percent of Latinos, you know eighty four percent of people under the age of 34 do not have a landline and never will have a landline. They they got a cell phone when they turned whatever as their teenagers, and that's the number that they will have for the rest of their lives. I mean, how many people do you know that have area codes that do not match up where they live? And that's because they take their numbers with them. Right. Um, so our, our numbers are now following us through our lives, but but you want that, you want that device to work. Um, <coughs> when we did our small cell report, um, I reached out to the National Association of Realtors to let them know about the to let them know that the study had been completed, and I suggested that they might want to take a look at it. Um, and uh, the woman, um, the woman I talked to, was like the, the head of government uh, relations, and she she told me that she believed that within the next five years, that how properties have certain scores like walkability scores that they will have connectivity scores as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that in, within five years, people are demanding that information. So the NAR believes that they will have to add that. So how does that change political perception? And how does that change public perception? Is, is that, first of all, I think as we get younger politicians, they understand the value of connect- connectivity. Certainly, again, the pandemic has taught us that connectivity is absolutely critical. And I think the population also accepts it more um, for two reasons. One, they've, they've seen the value of connectivity in their daily lives. Two, over time, these, these things become familiar, right? If you look back in history, people in the late 1800s were terrified of electric lights. There was this whole thing about electric lights. Like, like people were freaking out about them. Mm-hmm. It was the 5G of its time, right? Mm-hmm. New technology, new things cause people to become fearful. Over time, we accept it. Nobody walks into a room now and says, oh, my God, there are electric lights in this room. But but 140 years ago, that was actually the case. Like, people would not enter a room if it had artificial light. Um, you know, it, you, you and I are old enough to remember when people freaked out about electric blankets, um, <laughs> that, you know, that they were going to they were going to cause us to go sterile or, or something like that. There was the freak out about fluorescent light bulbs. Um, you know, we, we used to deal with before cellular, we used to deal with fears of towers for land mobile radio for public safety. Then 1G came around cellular. Oh, it's a new thing. Everybody freaked out about that. That's kind of what happened. That's why 1996 Telecommunications Act had to occur because everybody was losing their marbles about this new thing called cellular. Right. Um, then 2G came around and we heard, oh, that, that was, that's the one that's going to kill us because it's digital. Somehow or another, digital was more dangerous than analog. Then 3G was going to kill us because it was faster. I remember hearing somebody at a meeting talking about how the the sharp transitions and the speed of the the pulses were like little knives uh, sawing into your DNA. Um, Then 4G was the one that was going to kill us. And of course, then small cells, because they were deployed closer to population centers, Mm -hmm. that generated a problem. Now 5G is is the one that's going to get us, and I guarantee you, when 6G comes out, they're going to be. 
And I tell the industry this, I, I go to these conferences and I say, dear God, please let there never be a 6G. If I, if we can stop fighting, let's just have 5G for the, and improve it. Let's just have 5G for the rest of, 5G is the last generation. We're done. We're just going to have it be for the rest of our lives, for the rest of anyone's life. 5G is the standard. We'll improve it. We'll make it better. Never have 6G because I don't want to go through this again. Right. I mean, not that it's not, that it's not like great for business, but the, the, the problem is, is I've been down this road half a dozen times. Well, you, um, can, you can dream because you I, know, you I, know, within the next two and a half years, one of the carriers is going to say they got it first. And then that's a, it's the game over. Dude, I, 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 <laughs> the number, so I get called, I get called a lot, um, through, um, so the IEEE actually, um, I'm what's, um, I'm, the IEEE has me in a program that's called impact creators. So when the IEEE gets a query about 5g, they come to me. Um, and I'll have these questions from reporters and, and lately I've been getting, Oh, could you talk about 6g? You know, I don't know what I'm going to tell you about 6g. It's, <laughs> it's just an idea at this point. There's nothing to say. I mean, we haven't even really finished 5g yet. What do you, what am I going to tell you about 6g? Um, yeah. typically these generations, um, look forward, but they also fix things that are limited, that are limited in the current generation. Right. You know, 5G fixes a lot of the limitations of 4G. Um, what uh, we don't know what the limitations of 5G are because we're still in the process of like early deployment. I we can't define what 6G is. 3GPP has some sense for it. The ITU has some sense for it. Um, but but right now we're still even trying to figure out like what does 5G really mean in our daily lives and and what are the limitations? Right. I mean. We, we have to, I mean, we're still in non-standalone in 5G. We have to get a 5G core out there to really see the value of 5G. Um, and a lot of, was just chatting with somebody this morning. He was saying, like, oh, you know, it seems like 5G isn't doing a whole lot for us. And it's like, well, it's still non-standalone. It's still just a 5G resource on a 4G core. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we have to get to that point where we can truly realize 5G. Mm -hmm. and, and someone's going to come up with some use case that you and I have not thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's going to be the thing that's going to be the killer app that's going to make 5g work. But I, mm -hmm. I, I would argue that, you know, the people who are going to make their money on 5g are probably still in college and they, they haven't even graduated yet. They haven't come up with the, because they don't have a network to, de to develop on. Right. Right. So hopefully, um, we'll get that killer app for 5g here in the, in the short term, but the core has to be replaced and that's that's one of the big obstacles that we're dealing with right now excellent excellent thank you for uh, going over that so i wanted to get into joint venture silicon valley but not, you know um i i think i want to hold off and have a, in later in our uh in our season have a special one just on that maybe have oh, you sure. and have some and some counterparts at the at that organization and um dial into the into, dial into that um at a different time, but I do have one last question before I, uh, I sign off. Um, a couple of days ago, uh, there was, um, you know, uh, in my news feed, a radio signal from 9 billion light years away was picked up. Do you yeah. get all, do you get all giddy when you read those kinds of things? I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it was just sort of in the hydrogen line. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it, it was, it was basically uh, sort of microwave background radiation. The, you know that 
the the echoes of the Big Bang are still out there, and um, and it tends to show up at that sort of twenty one centimeter uh, area, right? So, uh, yeah, they picked up a signal. I I don't um, you know I, I don't know that it would be something that would provide service for your phone, but it's certainly <laughs> there's something there, right? Um, I uh, I get uh, you know I, I get excited about the idea that that we could potentially use that to figure out some of the structural things. I, I'm a little bit of a physics geek, um, just more for personal interest than anything else. And so I'm sort of, sort of you know, one of, one of my things that I do when I'm daydreaming is, is I think about the question of like, how do you, how does gravity and time relate, right? And, and how, what is it that causes time to slow down when you get near a, a gravity well, mm-hmm. like as you approach the, but then also as you approach the speed of light, time slows down. What is what is the mechanism by which these things are related? And I we don't really have a good sense for that. There are theories, but um, I, I think that if we can unlock sort of this question of dark matter and such like that, it might tell us a little bit more about the universe. And I, I mean, not that it, other than the fact of understanding it, I don't, certainly it doesn't change how we were going to behave in our daily lives, but it, it would be interesting to have a better understanding of how dark matter um, works and, and how that relates to potentially time and gravity and such like that. But yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting, the idea of picking up a radio signal from, from so far away. Mm-hmm. And so of course, of course, when you say so far away, you're also talking about so far back in time, right? Because exactly. it took 9 billion years to get here. So we really, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, um, you know, I, Absolutely. Telling, I said to my daughter the other night, I, I said, you know, you, you realize when you're looking at the stars, you're looking back in time. Right. I mean, you see light from a star. That's not what it looks like today. It's Mm -hmm. what it looked like 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 years ago. Right. 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 I mean, before the time of humans, that light was, was, uh, was traveling. And who knows what it's doing today? For all we know, the star did something in the meantime, and we won't learn about it for a while. I think that's really fascinating. Uh, I do too. Um, I'm not a scientist like yourself, but uh, I've tried my best to. Uh, read read books like Bill Bryson's uh, books about trying to making science kind of understandable um, to just the average person like myself. But um, I just wanted to make one comment. Have you ever noticed? Because I'm, I'm bring it back to superheroes. Have you ever noticed when they depict the Flash in um, like movies or TV that the only way to depict super speed is to make him really is to put him in slow motion? <laughs> Well, there's, and there's that, and, and then I also I, I think when you look at when you look at the Flash, like in the TV show, right? Um, um, I, I always thought that there should be a lot more Doppler effect on his coloring because as he's moving towards you, his coloring should change as when he's moving away from you. So you know, it, it's that he's always red, right? And right. so it's like, well, that's interesting because light doesn't behave that way, right? As, as he's as he's moving towards you, he should. He, look blue and as he's moving away from you you should be very red interesting right? i'll have to remember i'll i'll probably won't be able to unremember that when i'm reading um next next time they do a flash reboot the uh, mail we'll see that and i'll go wow there's david yeah he said that right yeah, perfect 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 the doppler shift on the flash well hey man thanks so much um how can our listeners find you i mean you have a twitter handle uh what's the best way if they, someone wanted to reach out to you yeah, so uh, probably the best way to find us uh, would, um, well, first of all, our website, which is okusolutions.com, okusolutions.com. And um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, reasonably active on Twitter. Um, 
It's actually my amateur radio call sign, which is uh, W6DTW. Okay. Uh, whiskey six Delta Tango whiskey for those of you who know the NATO phonetics. I'm gonna find you. Uh, and so yeah, I'm I'm just on Twitter that way. Um, but I'm I'm actually probably most active on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, you could you could just look up. Um, I, I think I'm slash in slash DT Witkowski on LinkedIn. Um, and then uh, Oku Solutions has a page there. It's not horribly active, but I I tend to write a lot on LinkedIn. And so probably the most active social media for me would, would be that. And, and, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not an open linker. So if, if you, if you want to pitch your chat GPT multi-level marketing startup to me, I, I don't, you know, please don't, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll just ignore you. Yeah, exactly. But if you, if you really want to talk to me about something or you have a problem, um, you want to send me a message, you know, and Hey, we've got a, we've got a thing we want to work on. Um, you know, do reach out, right? And I'll I'll set up a time to talk. And um, you know, we're we're always looking for interesting challenges and interesting opportunities to to help the industry. And, and whether that's DFing uh, uh, rogue Nextel sites or or uh, talking to city councils, then uh, we're we're always always interested in doing that. Excellent, excellent, perfect. Well, thanks again for being on. This was really educational and and. And something we really haven't ever covered before at, at, in, from this angle um, on, on the podcast. So thanks, David. I appreciate the chance to be here, John. Great talking to you. Awesome. And also thanks to everyone else uh, for listening. And please subscribe on your favorite po- podcast platform. Um, and that way, you know, these episodes will pop up versus you, uh, you being notified by them by Kawa through LinkedIn posts or otherwise. And you also... Uh, if you're on the Kawa.org site, you can you know sign up to be a member of Kawa, and that way you can see Kawa's upcoming events. And um, this year we're going to be having a number of webinars and whatnot. And I might have to press uh, David into service on a uh, webinar along these lines. So stay safe. <laughs> it would be great. Stay safe out there, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.